Welcome to the Disney Wedding Podcast, brought to you by Passporter's Disney Weddings and Honeymoons, the only guidebook and bridal organizer tailored exclusively to Disney's fairy tale weddings. I'm your host, Carrie Hayward. Each week I feature a different aspect of Disney weddings, from the latest news, information, and money-saving tips, to interviews with wedding vendors and real Disney brides and grooms. I also cover honeymoons, anniversaries, and engagements at the Disney parks and resorts. Join me now as the Disney Wedding Podcast celebrates romance at Disney destinations worldwide. Today on the Disney Wedding Podcast, we are talking to Reverend Kevin Knox, otherwise known as Rev Kev, who is one of the officiants on Disney's Fairy Tale Wedding's official list for Walt Disney World Weddings. And we're going to get to hear all about how it works when you are planning a destination wedding at Walt Disney World and you need to pick an officiant. How do you know who to pick from the list? What are some good questions to ask? Who's going to match your style? What if you want to write your own vows? Rev Kev is going to have all these answers for us and more. He's been doing Disney weddings for many years, and so I think he's going to have a lot of really interesting information to share with us. Welcome, Reverend Kevin. Thank you, Carrie. And uh, once again, I want to express my appreciation to uh, you kind of be an advocate for our Disney brides and helping them find some answers to the questions. So it's good to be a part of this. Thank you. Yeah, certainly. And I'm so glad to have you on the show because I think this can be one of the aspects of planning that is pretty nerve-wracking for some people because it is a big, very important and emotional moment. And here you're asking someone, unless you're bringing your own officiant or you happen to live in Orlando and maybe you have a local officiant, usually you're talking to someone who's basically a stranger and inviting them to share in the most important moment of the day. So let's get started. First, I'd, I'd be curious to know how you got started officiating weddings at Walt Disney World. It was kind of serendipitous. I was asked to do weddings professionally, and I'd probably been doing that for four or five years and had a strong relationship with one of the um, sales and wedding uh, coordinators and uh, people at one of the uh, Orlando hotels. And it turns out that she was asked uh, by Disney to come on their um, coordination and Disney sales team. And because uh, of that relationship, a few months later, when Disney was looking for another officiant, I had worked with her for many years. She said, you know, I think I have someone I want you to interview. And so they interviewed me with several other ministers, and I was fortunate to get the position that they had open. That's great. I'm glad to hear they actually do an interview process, too. (laughs) Yes, they do. They uh, do a pretty good job of screening uh, the officiants now. So now, do you find anything that sets a Disney wedding apart from any of the off-property weddings that you officiate? Well, of course... uh, (laughs) Usually the Disney castles in the background for about 80% of the weddings. That's always pretty nice. Um, the wedding coordinators are top of the line. Uh, of course, Disney's been doing weddings for over 20 years, and they have really developed a good system in those 20 years. They've, they've learned from, of course, mistakes. But they'll, being Disney, as they are, they're always asking the question, what can we do bigger or better and make things easier for the bride? So... They have definitely developed a, um, I guess, a system you'd call it, a protocol, a step-by-step process that really helps today's brides uh, provide do a wedding from long distance. And that's quite a challenge. So my hat's off to Disney and how they've got that all set up. 
That's great to know. Now, speaking of planning from a long distance, what strategies do you use for connecting with your couples since they are usually people you don't know and they're coming from out of town? How do you connect with them in a really meaningful way? Yeah, that is somewhat of a challenge. Uh, sometimes the brides are able to come into Orlando for a tasting and stuff like that, and sometimes we're able to coordinate a meeting. So a personal face-to-face consultation is always nice, but it's not always possible. Uh, so the second um, option is to have a phone consultation. I guess one of the, my favorite questions and first question I always like to ask the couple is, tell me a love story. How did you two meet? That seems to be important to me. Uh, just to make the wedding more personable uh, as I may perform it and everything like that to know the love story and and those details. If they do decide to retain my services, I'm not sure what the other officiants do, but I also like to have a phone rehearsal, I guess for lack of a better term. But once they send me what they want regarding the ceremony, their options, I like to um, get with them on the phone and say, Uh, This is the step-by-step process. Dad walks the bride in on his left arm. The groom's over here. He steps alongside Dad. And I kind of walk him through my my phone rehearsal. And uh, it really seems to be reassuring to the couples because I don't know how to put this, but (laughs) usually the bride is most anxious about what she doesn't know. So when she knows how things are going to go and flow, it's like, oh, I feel better now. So it helps to have that phone conference and to... um, let the couples know what's involved in the ceremony. Usually it's a, a sigh of relief that I hear on the other end of the phone after we've done that. <laughs> That's a great point because, yeah, it's always the unknowns that are the most scary. And especially for couples who are maybe having an escape or a memories collection event, they don't get a rehearsal. So it sounds like a phone rehearsal is a great substitute. Yeah, it really does help a lot. Now, what do you do to tailor the ceremony to each couple? You mentioned that you ask them about their love story. Are there other ways that you can really personalize it for them? Yeah, I think one of the best things that I've ever done, and I've noticed that probably the two or three other top officiants on Disney's vendor list have done the same thing, and that all of us have, for lack of a better term, a ceremony planning kit. This is a packet that we send to couples. I send mine as a Word document. Uh, I think a couple other ministers send it as a pamphlet. They might actually send it in the mail. I don't know if they made those changes or not, but we want nowadays... (laughs) We want to get brides. It's the day of customization. The brides now design their own cakes and they design their own ceremonies, and we try to make that possible. So in my kit, for instance, we have three basic ceremonies. They're all very different, and they kind of run on a spectrum of being a very overt, religious, non-denominational church type of ceremony on one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum is a civil ceremony where there's no mention of God or faith, And then the middle one, of course, is more contemporary, romantic, but still has some subtle references of God and faith. And the brides are encouraged to use those three ceremonies to mix and match them if they want to, to fit their own style. Then they have another chapter on marriage vows they can pick from, a chapter on ring vows, a chapter on the most popular readings that they can pick from, a chapter on how to write your own vows, a chapter on what we call acts of celebration. This is... um, Things like the sand ceremony, the unity candle, the breaking of the glass for the Jewish ceremonies, Catholic additions, etc. So it's a long list of things that they can incorporate to make their ceremony more personable and fitting their style. So basically, I give all the information to the couple, and they get to design and tailor the ceremony. So that makes it easy for them and makes it 
more personable to them as well. That's great. I love the idea that it's completely customizable and you can just, you know, swap in components. And that's, that's a great way to do it. I think it's the best thing I've ever done for my, my ministry and business is to make that possible for the couples. Oh, interesting. That's interesting to hear. So premarital counseling can be an important aspect of a couple's relationship with their officiant. The state of Florida even gives couples a discount on their marriage licenses if they've completed a counseling course. Can you talk a little bit about how this would work with a destination wedding? It's a little bit more complicated. Yes, um, the state of Florida, they, they, in the bylaws, in the small print, they give that to Florida residents. Um, theoretically, the discount, they give a discount of $32.50 to those who do premarital education in small print for Florida residents. Um, it's been my experience that many of the courthouses will give that to anybody from outside the state of Florida as well. But I just cannot guarantee that if you take my premarital course, that you're also going to get the discount. Yeah, you know, we actually did get the discount, and we're from out of state. But that's good to know that officially it's only for Florida residents. Where'd you get your license? You mind me asking? Yeah, sure. We used Brevard County because they have a mail-away license service, yes. which is fabulous. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, from the same courthouse, I've gotten different answers. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned them, though, because I, I really appreciate what they do for our brides with the uh, license by mail. But I guess it depends on what clerk opens up that they work with because one clerk may say, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> says here, it's only for Florida residents. And there's another clerk that will say, from the spirit of the law, you did premarital education, we want to acknowledge that, here's your discount. So I can appreciate that. So now what do you do for your course with your destination couples? Well, presently I have an online PDF course that the couples can download. And basically, it's like 60 hours worth of exercises, games, and questions, and suggestions, the things they can talk about, even a couple of movies that they can look at and discuss about what it says about marriage and so forth. And the goal is for them to, to pick those exercises and questions that would benefit them the most. The state of Florida does require at least four hours of um, premarital education, so they get to pick what four hours they want to do out of the 60. And then they just send me a verification form of what they learned about themselves and about each other. Um, and I issue them a certificate of completion. And then they take that to the courthouse for the discount. Now, that's, that's the old plan. What I'm working on presently is really my new mission in life is an um, online course that is made up of video tutorials where the couple sit down and watch the video. I call it the sit and get session. <laughs> and then after they watch the 10 or 15 minute video of best practices and skills and mindsets for a particular topic, then they have like a discussion date where I have designed some questions that they would discuss among themselves that help them apply and implement what they learned from the video into their own relationship. They get one video a week, one lesson a week, they take that, digest it, absorb it, apply it in their relationship, and the next week they will get another one. So I'm working on that process now. That's great. I like the idea of using technology to sort of ease the process of doing this for destination couples. Well, yeah, my kids have been coming home from college and talking about, you know, I stayed in my dorm and went to class all day by online education. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> but I did not know, but evidently online education is a new big thing now, so I, I finally decided to put the innovation together and, and do an online premarital course. Well, that'll be really helpful when that's ready. I'm excited about it. And 
let me say one more thing. You know, premarital education has come a long, long ways in a short amount of time. When I first got married, the divorce rate was 50%. And I don't know how many couples know that. I'm not sure I knew that when I got married. But that's only one out of two, and that's not very good. But in my research, I have discovered that when premarital education is at its best, because there's different styles and different levels of quality in premarital education, but when it's at its best, it has a 95% success rate after even 10 years. Wow. That's a huge turnaround. So I'd rather have one out of 10 that get divorced than one out of two. So it's become a big mission of me to get the, the education and the word out there to both the ministers and to the couples. That's very cool. When a couple is trying to decide who they want to have officiate their wedding, what kinds of things should they look for? I know the biggest question that most brides have, and the one I get the most is, what's the cost? <laughs> I think when people are putting the budgets together, I think that's what I hear the most is, you know, how much is your services? But I think there's a lot of things to consider. You know, um, as a business person, we're told to add value and not just uh, the cost factor to it. But I think one of the biggest things that brides are teaching me that they're looking for now, too, is stage presence and not just experience. And there's a difference because there are some ministers who have had 20 years of experience doing weddings, but when I see pictures of them, they're still looking in the book as they perform the ceremony. And that's just ridiculous, I think. But, you know, a minister, after having done this for a while, ought to have stage presence and ought to have eye contact with the couple and with the guest. We believe that you can't deliver with heart until you know it by heart. So all of my team members know the ceremonies by heart. And I think most good officiants who are going to have a good stage presence need to know uh, the ceremony content by heart so they can have that um, stage presence. I mean, that's just huge because the brides are going to be looking at the video and they'll be looking at the pictures for the rest of their life. And you don't want to keep having a minister up there who has the nose down the book um, reading that. Anybody could do that. So I think to be above average in an efficient world, you need to have a good stage presence. You need to watch yourself on video. You need to listen to yourself. And every time you do that, you're going to learn something different, and it's going to improve your stage presence. Probably the second thing I would want to talk to brides about is if you want a minister, if you want somebody who's ordained, you need to make sure that they are really ordained. And what I mean by that is, as you may know, there are people, and it's becoming more and more common, to go online and get an ordination certificate for $74, go down to the Bible bookstore, and they buy a minister's robe for $200, and then they sell themselves an ordained minister. But really, that's not, I think, what God had in mind when he talked about ordination and calling. So <laughs> there are a lot of people out there who proclaim to be ordained, who had never set a foot into a seminary. And if you want somebody who's going to be ordained performing your ceremony, you may want to ask them some questions about their calling, uh, about how they got involved in the church, or how they got involved doing weddings, and find out, if you can, whether it's really somebody who's ordained or just went some, someone who went online to make money doing weddings. That's a really interesting point. I've often recommended the online ordination for couples who want to have a family member or a friend officiate. It never occurred to me that somebody might use it sort of sketchily so that they could set themselves up as a pastor or a minister when they really weren't. That's a really interesting point. 
Yeah, and I just don't think that's what God had in mind when he talked about ministry and calling and serving people. It's, it's just, I, I, I get on a soapbox about that. I'm not counting. But, you know, if you're going to go to court, you don't want your attorney to find out that your attorney got his license online. Or you're going to have surgery. You don't want your doctor to be someone who got his license online. Now, being ordained online is not as dangerous as an attorney or a doctor, but it's the same principle. It's it's not what God intended. It's not the spirit of uh, what ordination is about. I, I think it's interesting. It's also, you know, those people, like you were talking about earlier, stage presence. I think that's a really key component to having someone who's actually an officiant, who is actually invested in the content behind what they're saying, and will just give a better performance than someone who just sets up shop using their little license that they got online or whatever. Yep. And one thing about or a, a professional officiant, many times a professional officiant, uh, I'm speaking with my, my peers, I think, when I say this for them, but many times they can even do a better ceremony than the local pastor. And this is what the wedding coordinators are telling us, is that sometimes they prefer their team to do a wedding rather than somebody bringing the pastor in. I know you did that, Carrie, but many times... Uh, even the church pastor is not very experienced and has stage presence in performing a ceremony because we may do as many weddings as professional officiants in a week that a pastor might do in a whole year. So there's there's a learning curve there, and it's not natural for everybody. I, for one, will hate to do a funeral, but other ministers, you know, love doing funerals, so to speak. <laughs> um, but it's not my cup of tea. But I love getting up in front and doing a wedding. Um, I guess it gives me more balance in my life because so much of my ministry has been in chaplaincy. So when I get to do a wedding, it kind of fills my cup up a lot. So. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So that's something else couples can look for when they're choosing an officiant is someone who has a lot of experience doing weddings specifically and to whom it's a calling. It's something they really enjoy. Yeah, I think it comes across if they enjoy it uh, or whether they're just doing it as a business and for money or whether they even feel comfortable up in front of people. It's when, you, when you're a pastor in a church, you have to wear a lot of different hats. I know I've been there. Um, you have to be a good preacher, but sometimes being a good preacher doesn't translate to being a good funeral person or wedding officiant or business administrator. You have to wear a lot of different hats. And couples know the ministers enough to probably know whether they would feel good about them being a part of the ceremony. But sometimes personal relationship trumps anything else. And that's important. I mean, it's always more important to have someone that you know and love do your wedding than somebody who's just going to have good stage presence sometimes. So that's a checks and balances. Yeah, great. These are all great things to consider. Do you have any advice for couples who want to write their own vows? Uh, yes, I love it. I think that is one of the best parts of the whole ceremony. I've gone through the wedding ceremonies enough that when it comes time to um, perform the uh, exchanging of vows and for me to say, ladies and gentlemen, this is a special moment in the, in the wedding and that both Mike and Lisa have written their own vows to each other, I can just look. Everybody's eyes come off the program or whatever they're looking and look directly at the couple. It's it just galvanizes everybody back into the focus of the ceremony. And it's probably one of the most beautiful and intimate parts of the ceremony. So I really encourage couples who want to do that to do that. But having said that, uh, it's not for everybody. Um, it's not, not everybody can do it. But even having said that, <laughs> before you decide it's not for you, it may be a lot easier than you think. Uh, you can Google how to write your own vows and probably find a lot of answers, but I've also included something like in my ceremony planning kit, a whole chapter on how to write your own vows. And 
there should be a bunch of questions that help you get past your writer's block. Like, um, do you remember your first kiss and what it was like and how it made you feel? You ask yourself questions like, what does this person have to offer in making my life better? Or how has this person changed me? I have 20 questions that, that help people write stuff down. And by the time they're finished, they're like, they got more stuff than they can use. So asking yourself the right questions kind of gives you all the material you could possibly need to write your own vows. Then my, I strongly suggest that they put it on paper. Um, I, I have couples quite frequently says, we want to write our own vows, but we do we have to have it memorized? And I, I guess there's a lot of pressure out there for couples to think that they have to memorize their vows. And I say, no, <laughs> I don't want you walking down the aisle thinking, okay, I, Mike, love you, Lisa, because yeah, 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 I don't want you thinking about your vows. I want you to have them on a piece of paper in front of you. And by the time you have them on paper, you've wrestled with them so much, you probably know them pretty well anyways. You just need the security of having them in on a piece of paper. So uh, I can have them hold them in a piece of paper and always hold hands with each other with the other hand. It looks a lot warmer when couples are holding hands while they do the vows as opposed to having both hands on a piece of paper. So <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen pictures of both and there's a big difference in how, how well it looks. So I encourage couples to have the notes in one hand and hold hands with the other. A lot of things they can do, but there's another option too. In terms of writing their own vows, if they still want to say something to each other, but they can't say it to one thing that I've offered couples to do, if they would write something short like 100 words, I can read it for them. And they can both write something. And I can say, Lisa, on behalf of Mike, he says that one of the things he loves about you the most is the fact that you're able to go on and go on. But I can say it and read it for them before they actually do the traditional vows. So sometimes that's a great alternative as well. Yeah, I like that. It's sort of a hybrid approach. Yeah. Now, one last question, and this is probably pretty specific to Disney weddings, but um, with at-home weddings, etiquette dictates that the couple should invite the officiant to the rehearsal dinner and to the reception. With Disney weddings, do you ever actually attend these, or do things work a little bit differently in that situation? I have never attended and I discourage all my teams to attend a rehearsal dinner and the reception dinner. My belief is, is that, you know, they pay us to perform the ceremony. They should not have to also feed us. In fact, I'll tell you a war story about a wedding officiant who um, took reservations for their rehearsal dinner and the reception for he and his wife. And this was at a five-star, top-of-the-line hotel here in Orlando. I won't mention the name, <laughs> but... I was surprised uh, to find out that a rehearsal dinner at this particular hotel cost $150 each. Ooh. The reception dinners were $250 each. And it so happened that um, the minister caught the flu the day of the rehearsal. Mm. He was able to make the rehearsal, but he couldn't stay for the dinner. And because he was contagious, he felt he didn't stay for the reception dinner either. So if you add up the numbers, we're talking about $800 wow. that went down the drain because the minister and his wife couldn't stay. That's just ridiculous. So having learned from that other person's mistake, we just don't think it's all right to accept uh, that invitation. In fact, I would discourage brides. You know, if you don't know the minister as a friend, I think there ought to be a caveat about inviting them to the rehearsal and the reception. Right. For that reason. 
Interesting. Well, that's interesting to hear. I, I was curious how that worked. So, well, Rev Kev, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I think you've answered a lot of questions that are at the forefront of many brides and grooms' minds and maybe put them at ease about certain aspects, like writing their own vows. Uh, is there any place online that people can go to find out more about you? Well, they can either Google Rev Kev. That should help. My business uh, website is under my business name, A Beautiful Ceremony, but it's A Beautiful Ceremony. .net. So they can find me there or on the Disney vendor list. I'd be glad to answer any questions they have and offer any help that I can. All right. Well, thanks again so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Carrie, for all that you're doing for the brides. And I can do be of any help. Let me know. That's our show for today. If you enjoyed it, be sure to rate the Disney Wedding Podcast on iTunes so that others will find it. You can also send your comments, questions, and suggestions to info at DisneyWeddingPodcast.com. Past shows are available in iTunes and on the show's website. And for instant answers to all your Disney's Fairy Tale Weddings questions, check out Passporter's Disney Weddings and Honeymoons Guide, available as an interactive ebook with continual free updates at Passporter.com weddings.asp or in print at Passporter.com and Amazon.com. 